Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the Over 6 Sports Podcast. I am Zach the Bandenberg, and with me as always is the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. What's going on, brother? Man, things are unreal right now. Just a unreal weekend in betting. Ryder Cup was a ton of fun to watch. A little bit of a slaughter fest there, but uh, Jays are in it. Things are just great right now. We got six games at home for the Jays. Playoffs on the line. 30,000 fans now in the Rogers Center. Let's go. Let's go indeed, and you're going to be there. Uh, we're recording on uh, Tuesday, just so everybody knows, because we uh, we do have the Jays game on right now. First uh, game versus the Yankees. Cam, you're going there Wednesday. Our buddy's there tonight. Our buddy's going Friday, and I'll be there Sunday. So we're hoping that uh, that it's going to be a good experience for everybody. I'm the one on the hook. We were just talking before the show. I'm the one on the hook here. If they get, if they don't win any games and I go Sunday and there's no chance for them to make it, I'm going to be pissed. Man, like I'm just super pumped. I haven't seen a live sporting event in, what, two years now? And to be in the Rogers Center, 30,000 fans. I know it's not full, but 30,000 there for a playoff stretch against the Yankees who you're chasing. You could possibly be one game back of tomorrow night. Like that atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. I, I'm so excited. I haven't been this excited for an event in a while and – Man, this is it's September baseball, a meaningful September baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays. It's going to be awesome. Well, and I can just tell that you're just fired up. Um, I love it. Um, the, the the players for the Jays have said that 15,000 sounds like 50. So if 15,000 can sound like 50, I'm sure that 30 is going to sound like 100. Um, so that's going to be awesome. And we're going to. As I said, we're going to have to, to hear back next week on how that was, and we can both give our experiences. So let's kind of dive right in. So let's start off with um, – let's just start off with uh, with the Ryder Cup, I guess. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was – there was some great golf to be played, some horrible golf too. The conditions were tough, and uh, as Barstool's kind of quoting it, it was the slaughter by the water. Yep. It was the biggest win in like 40, 50 years. And it really wasn't that close. The U.S. dominated it and kind of an awkward position for the Europeans to be in. Now they don't have a lot of young players. A lot of their older guys didn't really play well. You saw how important this was to Rory McIlroy and you just got to love the guy. He's just super honest. And he said he doesn't care about all the millions he's won. It's seeing these guys being on the course with a team. It's so different. He doesn't care about any individual thing. They're not getting paid for this. And to see him that emotional, even though he didn't lose any money just he lost and he's a competitor and but yeah you saw some unbelievable golf from some of these americans colin morikawa is just an assassin dj just showed up and i love the quote afterwards well this guy on the team which isn't he's not that old no but uh they're bugging him afterwards and dj's dj's hockey player-esque he never gives any actual answers to any questions super boring and just gets asked are you going to be able to stay up and uh, drink with all these young guys and he says absolutely which you don't see from DJ at all. But uh, what do you think of the golf overall, Burke? And Whistling Straits, it was a phenomenal golf course all week. Man, I, I looked at some of those holes like there's no chance that I could like keep this in play. Like the, the, like some of those par threes, especially the one directly on the – well, there's two water side going the opposite directions. And the one is like – Man, on on day three on Sunday, the pin was tucked. Like, these guys are starting it on the left and trying to get it right. If you go 20 feet to the right too far, you're in the ocean or in the in Lake Michigan, not the ocean, Lake Michigan, um, or you're in 
hell hell of trouble. And if you're on the left side, like you've got a forty foot putt down downhill, like left to right, like twenty feet. Like if you don't put this perfectly, and like some of these shots these guys are making, they put it within fifteen feet in the fringe, and they are just like, oh, what a glorious shot. And I'm like, holy shit! If like, what chance do I have at that course? Zero. Like zero. Yeah, I mean, I know your game's gotten better out of bunkers, but there's over 1,100 bunkers at Whistling Street. <laughs> it's not that some good. Of the, some of the par fours there, you just look at it, and you're like, all I see is Lake Michigan and bunkers. I don't even see the fairway. Like, where am I hitting this ball? Then you just saw you saw some, like, crazy shots. Like, Justin Thomas in the alternate shot both days put uh, Jordan Spieth in terrible spots down below. Hit almost one, one of the most incredible shots I've ever seen. Almost ended up running into Lake Michigan, but how oh, many bad shots did, are, by the way. was it? Yeah, how many bad shots there was? There was some unbelievable shots, like watching Sergio and Rom have like a tap in eagle on sixteen there uh, to win their match, and just some of that. I mean, it's super exciting to see this, and I just love the aspect of like JT and Jordan Speed. They're super fiery guys, especially in competition like this. And they were three down early, and then the Europeans decided not to give them a putt that was two feet. It was within the leather, and JT just lays down his putter, and then. You can't piss off those guys. Those are super fiery guys, and they end up coming back from three down to win it like three and two, and it's just some of that stuff. Other than you get Bryson who does it. This guy's putter's longer than my driver. It's not a gimme. It's not a gimme if it's within your putter length. Like the rest of the guys, yes, but Bryson, your putter is super long. Yeah. So I mean, and and you know, kind of going back to what you said, I just want to touch on a couple of things here. So the first thing you're talking about is the Europeans not getting any younger, and I think. That's a great point. I mean, if you look at their team, um, you know, you know, obviously John Rahm was the best. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Number one in the world. That's fine. You could argue that Sergio Garcia was the second best on that team, and he's the wily old vet. And then who's who's third on that team? Victor Hovland probably. Um, and then I mean, Shane Lowry played decently. Uh, Tyrell Hatton was unbelievable. And like I know that he plays a lot of events on the European Tour. Uh, but he, he looked decent, but then you got guys like, honestly, like Tommy Fleetwood di- just didn't look very good. Rory ha- has to figure some stuff out. Like he, just in general, his golf game, the last couple of years has not been, um, what it was five, six years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where when you look across the board at the U S side and you see, uh, you know, and the other part of it too, is the con- like the actual, because they're all American, like a lot of these guys have played together for a long, long time. Like JT and Spieth have played together since they were kids, right? So you can't really get that chemistry anywhere else. Um, and like just the dynamic that they have as well. Like, uh, you know, like a great example is, you know, Bryson when they're doing alternate shot. Okay. So Bryson steps up to the tee, puts it within 80 yards. Nobody else on Europe has even a chance to do that. What's the par four that he hit at four seventeen? And, uh, what's his fate? Yeah. The par fives hits at 417 to like 86 yards, and the Europeans had to actually play a normal golf shot. And Scotty Scheffler did too. So Bryson didn't play either day alternate shot because his game's not set up for alternate shot because he gets into a lot of trouble. But even his partner that day, Scotty Scheffler in the four ball, had to hit it like 290 way down the left, and Bryson could just bomb it because only one of your 417. Yeah, only one of your scores counts per hole, so it allows him to bomb it. That's where it works out well. But it had been for years that the Europeans had much better camaraderie. They were drinking. They were playing pool, playing ping pong. The U.S. just showed up, kind of went about their own business. Even heard Brooks before the Ryder Cup this year. He's like, this isn't like anything we do. Like, we have all this media stuff. We're supposed to hang out. And he's like, I just want to go home, sleep, show up to the practice screen. 
But I think the like the U.S. and the Yankees, like they showed that they really were a team this year. That was the huge thing. Like they've always been, they always have seven of the top ten in the world, but they never act like a team. They never seem to want to win for the U.S., which is weird because U.S. consider themselves the most patriotic people in the world. And they just don't seem to care when it comes to this. And they finally did. You saw Brooks and Bryson making up for it at the end there. I have to do have to say one thing. Brooks looked really bad the one day with that whole yep. drainage thing. If you saw that yep. at all. 100%. To me, I was, I, to me, that was 100% something you'd see from Bryson. There was a drainage tile on the edge of the bunker for people who didn't want to see it. Brooks was complaining that he was going to break his wrists on it. It was through his follow through and it was going to make a massive difference. It ended up not making a difference. It sounded like he did hit through it, but it didn't, he didn't break his wrist, but just the way he was telling, like looking at both rules officials and being like, if I break my wrist, it's on you two guys. It's like, really, man, like hit a better shot. Don't hit it to these spots. When yeah, you're that... beside a tree, when you're beside a tree, you don't get a free drop. Cause you might break yeah. your wrist. You're mm-hmm. not supposed to hit it there. There's no, no issue in the middle of the fairway. Well, and this is the thing, right? I was going to, this is where I was going to go next with this is, is, you know, we can obviously pump the tires of guys like JT, Spieth, Mordecai, and Johnson, but the Brooks and Bryson dynamic kind of finally came to a head and they joked about it at the end. They had the awkward kind of hug thing. The guys were wearing the stepbrother shirts, which I thought was super funny, but that incident and just overall in this tournament, I definitely think that, you know, DeChambeau put his best foot forward and leaned into it and leaned into the crowd like he whips out his driver like a scalibur and the crowd goes nuts on the first tee and he you know he kind of had himself a, a week uh, a weekend and then brooks too i mean like brooks again i actually thought that he played some decent golf which was nice to see considering that he had hurt his wrist but then yeah on that hole he made himself look like an ass and like i understand like the reason he's mad is is you, he, he's going to say it's his wrist. The, the reality is is he's in some thick brush and there's a drainage tile. This is like the anthill thing all over again where it's like, oh, can I come up with an excuse here to put myself in the rough instead of being in th- two foot tall shit? And when it doesn't go his way through a temper tantrum. And like, dude, as you said, if you like hit a better shot, number one, and like we're amateur golfers and we hit bad shots all the time. And we have to, we, you hit it of that shit. And for us, it's, it's super, super common. And it's not like he hit a bad shot out of that shit anyway. Like he's that, you're, you're that good, man. Like, and, and I understand calling the second rules official over. Okay. Like that to me, sure. You got a guy who makes a ruling and you said, Hey, or this is the same thing as in the NFL where like, okay, the on-field official makes a ruling. You challenge it. It goes to New York. This is the same scenario. And when New York, for example, comes back and says, nope, that's the play. You don't get to swear at him and say, yeah, you're an idiot. Well, you can, but it doesn't change anything. So there's no reason there to make yourself look like an an ass on national TV. Uh, I mean, as I said, like once, once they decided, he should have said, okay, perfect. Thank you. And then moved on. Like it was already decided. There's no, there's no need for it. Yeah, and that was the other thing is it was the second official who came in was a European tour guy, one of the highly most highly respected uh, like officials in the entire golfing industry. But Brooks even made comments about him being on the European tour and has he ever seen him play and stuff? And it's like, really, do you got to do this stuff? Like, you're just making yourself look like an ass. Just go hit your golf shot. You're not going to break your wrists on a drainage tile. It's not a fucking boulder. It just, yeah, this is like, everyone started to like, Brooks again because he was kind of playing it fun around Bryson but then you kind of remember that now Brooks does all the same shit that Bryson does all the time too and they're both kind of stupid and idiots when it comes to the course and 
at times are super unlikable. And this was just one of those moments. And again, I mean, it always looks worse. If it's Bryson Brooks, Patrick Reed, it always looks worse. If JT or Rory McIlroy does something like this, we all probably give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think they've earned it. So it, it is kind of odd in that situation. I also love that. Um, I mean, people were giving JT guff about uh, chugging a beer on, what was it, after he finished his round and fuck, and just fucking slamming it like Gronk style on the ground. I loved it personally, by the way. Like, yeah, him and Berger weren't playing the afternoon session, so they were hanging around the first tee box and guys were throwing them beers so they were shotgunning them and doing stuff that was on this uh saturday and then the sunday yeah. they were drinking too once they were done everyone was having the Michelob ultras walking around the course afterwards waiting for the other matches to end but yeah it was awesome to see fans are gonna throw you beers on the first tee and you're not playing the rest of the day go ahead chug it have fun green light special and like th- this is the and this is one of the beauty things actually is is like again i hadn't really watched the Ryder cup before this year but definitely going to watch it in the future, dude. It was so like, it was super fun to watch. Like they just had such a good time. And as I said, I don't really have a dog in the fight. I don't really care. Honestly, if the U S win or the, the Europeans win, like, I don't really care. Um, but I got to see some good golf, really good storylines, uh, hit a couple bets on, um, on four ball did not get, uh, unfortunately picked uh, Xander Shoffley. He was three, you know, uh, and then he turned into three and one cause he lost to Rory on day four three um but dj obviously had had that bet done so and i also laid a little up money on the europeans to win hey history was on my side didn't work out but uh definitely looking forward to doing that again in two years for sure yeah it'll be a ton of fun and uh hopefully the europeans can find a couple younger players hopefully you can get guys like maddie fitz i mean rom's still pretty young although he doesn't seem it and some of these guys to step up and be be a little better. And they got a couple other guys like Hovland's super young. So if he can step up, they got a couple young guys and you never know if these young guys can come together and be a team. You never know what can happen. And it's golf. As we all know, anything can happen in a round of golf. Anybody can win. Anybody can play better. So it's super fun. And just the team aspect of golf, this for the Ryder cup every other year is just so much fun to watch. And it's something you don't see at all. So I'm looking forward to it again in two years, or I guess not even two years anymore. Yep. Exactly. All right. Let's talk some, um, before we get into our uh, NFL recap for week three, let's talk about our Toronto Blue Jays. And they are currently up uh, one nothing over the New York Yankees. Uh, Boston is up one nothing over Baltimore uh, in the third inning. Um, so they have not made it easy on themselves. Now, it didn't help that the Yankees swept Boston. That was a bit of a yeah, the Yankees swept Texas and Boston, won seven in a row now. So that's yeah. kind of tough. That was inconvenient. Like, they they went on a big winning streak, and then we went on a big winning streak, and then they were sliding. And then, I mean, this is what makes it exciting down the stretch. And, I mean, in a sense, the Jays do have their own, like, the destiny is in the hands of the Jays, right? Like, they can legitimately, if they win out, they're making the playoffs. Yeah, if you win all six games, you're at minimum in a tiebreaker game, game 163, to see who goes to the wild card game. And then you get a whole big mess if all three of them tie. But you win all six games, and you're at least playing an extra game. It's not going to be over on Sunday. So it's all in your hands. And they set it up right. You brought in Hunjin Ryu off on 11 days rest tonight, which is big. Hunjin Ryu, yeah, he's had ups and downs this season. But the last time he played the Yankees, he was really good. And you paid him this much because he can be really good. He struggled this year at times, but then tomorrow night you got 
uh, Barrios going against Garrett Cole. He's your one A, one B. Like, and then uh, the third third match against the Yankees, you have Robbie Ray, who's arguably going to win the Cy Young. So you set up this matchup well, and then your last three games are against Baltimore, who again is the worst team in the AL. I know the Jays struggle with them at times, but you set this matchup perfectly for you, and now the players just have to go do it. You're set up perfectly to win these games. I think most people think that this team is better than the Yankees. Top to bottom, they just haven't they've lost a lot of games because of the bullpen. That's the one spot the Yankees are better than them, is their bullpen. And if the Jays can get it done with their bats and their starting pitchers are good, this is going to be a ton of fun. Well, and, and I just want to throw it for the record because I'm still getting hate about my Jays takes and stuff like this. Like, I, I just I, I got to once again set the record straight here because if they miss the playoffs, like, they, I, again, I said before that I thought it was unlikely they would miss the playoffs at the time. So if they miss the playoffs now, it's actually a whole different scenario. I actually think that it's worse if they miss the playoffs than now than they did before because they they kind of shot themselves in the foot um, playing teams like like splitting with Minnesota is not unacceptable, frankly. Like you can't that just can't happen. Like you got to win three or four. I know the one of the games is a bullpen game. It is what it is. Like there's not much you can do about that. But you got to get you got to get three or four there. And the two games that they lost, the bats just didn't show up. Um, and so, arguably, if they blow the, the this, if they don't make the playoffs, especially with these six games, three against the Yankees uh, and three against the Orioles, like if they let's just say they take two or three against the Yankees and they're tied, say right, um, and you lose two of three against the Orioles, like that is infinitely worse than where you were when we were talking about this in August, is it not? Yeah, I mean, for me, no. Again, like I know you're a huge. Uh, it's basically win or bust, but no, I way more happy that we have this final two, this final homestand is important and it's way more fun to be a part of, especially for a team who's going to be all back next year. I know Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon not, but are you going to tell me this isn't great for Guerrero, Bichette, all these guys to be in this again? It's not exciting for the fan base for 30,000 to be there again. Same thing I felt to Montreal in the playoffs. They finally got fans back in Canada and it was super exciting and it was great to be a part of. So, no, I don't agree. I think this is way better for the team. It's way better for the fans. This is super exciting to be a fan. I know it feels a little somber because they didn't play well. But, again, you win four of these six games. You win both series because you can't win one against the Yankees and then sweep the Orioles. That's probably not going to matter. But you win both series. You put yourself in a great spot to at least end up game 163 with Boston or the Yankees. Because the Yankees have to go play Tampa for three games after this series. So, it's super exciting. But, yeah, like – they could shoot themselves in the foot, and I think that puts a couple players on the hot stove. I think that puts Montoya on the hot stove if they lose four out of these six games or something, or lose all six. I don't know if Montoya's back, and they got some things to figure out. But no, I wouldn't trade this for like still being out of it and where we were at like eight and a half no. games back. This is way more fun and way more exciting. I think it's better for the fans, the city, the country. It's super fun, and so no, I think this is way better. I know it feels a little somber, but still, I wouldn't trade this for being. 10 games out of it still. Well, that's not, not exactly what I'm saying. Like, I'm just saying that, like, where they were before, like, you could say, all right, well, we we didn't have the pitching before the trade deadline. We lost some games early. We didn't have Springer. Um, you know, we, we didn't really, as I said, we didn't have that starting pitching. We didn't have the bats going. So you could make a case earlier when they, you know, before they went on that huge win streak that, um, okay, like, it, they're just like this growing team. I'm just saying that as an organization, I feel like if you don't make it now, after that winning streak, it's more disappointing 
than it would have been before. That's all I was saying. Yeah, I mean, it'll feel more disappointing. But again, I mean, that's just the highs and lows of being a sports fan. So, yeah, it'll probably feel more disappointing. But to be honest, I don't really think it is. It's, yeah. And, and again, I, I, I hope that they make it. I'm not going to come here and say, ha, ah, I told you so. Jays aren't going to make the playoffs. I mean, it's a completely different ball game now. Um, but I mean, as I, as we said, right, it's gonna, you gotta, you gotta just win both series. You don't have to win them all. I mean, winning them all is definitely going to help you. Um, let's just hope that the Rays have something that like, they actually don't start bad pitchers the last three games, just the rest guys. Cause that would just be, um, unfortunate. To say the least. Yeah, you, you you hope not, but you never know in baseball. I really like how it's they didn't expand the rosters to like forty again, where you get like guys and the changing the rules with the pitchers, where they have to come in for at least three batters or the end of the inning. I think the, those things will help a bit without having so they don't have a hundred people you've never heard of coming out. So again, this is just super exciting to be a Jays fan, and I can't wait to be there tomorrow night or I guess tonight as you're listening to this. It's going to be a great atmosphere whether they win or lose tonight. But if they're one game back. You got Berrios versus Cole at the Rogers Center. September, important baseball. It's going to be amazing. So I'm looking forward to that. And you're going to, are you going to post some tweets on at over six sports from the game? I think I got to. I think, I think you have to. So stay tuned for that at over six sports on Twitter uh, or at C Charlton Turf. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not really much to say. It's more just kind of this, this kind of wait and see. And, um, you know, when you're listening next week, we're either going to be, uh, preparing for the wild card game, wild card, sorry, wild card match. It's not just a game anymore. Um, it's a mini series and, um, it's three, of, it's three of five, right? Nope. Wild card what? is just one. No, game they changed still. it. They just changed nope. it. No, the wild card is still just one. Are game. you so sure? All this can be for one game. Yep. Are you, are you a hundred percent? Yes, I'm a hundred percent sure. The divisional series is five games. And then they go to seven at some point, but yeah, the wild card is still just one game. Hmm. Well, there you, oh, are you sure it's not like two of three? I thought I read something that they changed it. I don't know where you're reading up on your uh, baseball information. Bad news: Yankees went yard. It's oh no. Okay, well at least it's not. Uh, I mean, at least it wasn't like there's nobody on base. But anyway, all right, let's move on. I'll figure it out later. It might be one. I swear to God that it was. I thought it would. I thought they changed it to two or three. But anyway, which they really should, by the way. Like this whole one game garbage is bullshit. I hate that so much. Yeah, especially in a sport where you play 162 regular season games, it's kind of silly to have it down to one. But again, be better, win the division, and you won't have that issue. Okay. Yeah, but are, are the Jays not in like the best division? One of the best divisions in baseball, though. Yeah, the whole reason that there's two wild card spots and really one wild card spot is because of the AL East. It's basically the biggest reason because you have the two biggest spenders usually. Dodgers are pushing that and the Yankees and Red Sox. You have Tampa Bay who seems to have the best development system in the planet. And then you have the Jays who are kind of usually top tier team where they're still the higher end team. So yeah, easily the hardest division and that's why you're seeing where four one team's made the playoffs and the other three are battling for two spots. It's toughest division and that's why there's all these wild card spots well you're right there it's only a single game i knew it was before maybe they're talking about changing it maybe that's where i read it i don't know anyway doesn't matter do you want to break down our uh our picks from last week for the nfl oh boy do i ever want to break down these picks 
It is the Over 6 NFL Picks Week 3 Recap. Cam, I think we definitely did better this week than we did, uh, or sorry, this past weekend than we did the weekend before. Yeah. This What's was, the first game I'm, that you've got? Well, we got to touch on the Thursday nighter. Carolina at Houston. Carolina was favored by eight, and this really wasn't much of a game. There was a couple big things in this game, though. C-Mac, out. Oof. Uh, Davis, Davis Mills actually looked okay. I mean, the we'll neck. See next, yeah, next game, how he does. <laughs> but he actually looked pretty decent in game one. But, again, Carolina is a good team. I, I, I got nowhere else to go with it. I think Carolina is a good team right now. Sam Darnold looks really good. Like, this is what happens when you're no longer with Adam Gase. I mean, that's true. I think they have, they do have a soft schedule. Let's not forget. Um, but they've, they've performed well enough. Like they've, they've been good. Um, I can't, you know, got to give props for props or two. Um, but they have had one of the softer schedules. They do have one of the softer schedules, not had, they do. Um, but yeah, but so their de- their defense is paying off great. That's what happens when you draft super heavy in the defense for two years. And a lot of these guys are looking really good. That's super young and super exciting. So I think the Panthers have done a lot of good things here. Their coaching staff is really good. And I think it's perfect for the schemes they have set up. The big, the big question mark is going to be C-Mac and see how he can come back and uh, see if the Canadian can have a few good weeks. Chuba Hubbard, see if he can, uh, Fill the void a little bit. You're clearly not going to match what C-Mac can bring, but if you can be uh, pretty good out there, you might give the Panthers a chance because, again, they look their defense looks good, and Sam Darnold showed he's capable, and he's got receivers who are good. DJ Morris looked exceptional so far. Well, and, and the Panthers are 8-0 uh, when allowing 21 points or fewer since 2020, uh, and they're 0-11 when allowing 22 points plus. So that's, that just tells you right there all you need to know is if they can keep teams to, as I said, less less than that number, and their defense has done well up to now, they are undefeated since 2020. So, um, yeah, like, it, it, man, they just, if they can keep, as I said, if they can keep that up defensively, obviously C-Mac being out hurts me fantasy-wise. Uh, that's a killer. Um, Chuba Hubbard might go for 100 fab this week. Uh, I might have to do it, frankly. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to have a choice. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they definitely have, um, have, you know, players to fill that void and they also can scheme it differently too, right? Like they don't have to run the same as the team, the same as they would. Darnold's gonna, you know, has a lot more weapons than just C-Mac. So, and, and the Texans as well, uh, man, they just, uh, without uh, Tyrod Taylor, they, they just don't look like the same team. Um, I mean, we didn't think they were going to win a lot of games, uh, but uh, right now they're it's kind of auto fade mode with the uh, Houston Texans. Yeah, I mean Brandon Cooks has looked really good, but without Tyrod there, I don't really think they're going to be that competitive. They'll still like as we've shown, they're still way more competitive than you definitely gave them credit for. Yep. Uh, here, here's the big thing I heard today. So if Chuba Hubbard going to be the top uh, waiver wire pickup in fantasy. So everyone was talking, and most people are going to want to pay fifteen to twenty percent for him of your total fab. But if you're a C-Mac owner, you might have to go to 90. <laughs> yep. So it will, it'll be cho- interesting to see. You don't have a choice, No, man. you don't. No, you're giving like, up I, your I, first overall pick in the entire draft, and that's tough. 
And I know there was, and this is a conversation that I had with people in this one league that I drafted him in before the season that I'm like, man, I'm worried that he's going to get hurt and I'm going to waste this first overall pick. I could pick, you know, I could have picked Camara or somebody, whatever. They don't have the same ceiling, but, um, or, or the floor, but man, I'm like, I was worried about it because he like 25, 20 to 25% of my points every week are coming from C-Mac. Like Lamar Jackson and C-Mac on my fantasy team was like 55 points the week before. That's you take away half of that. I got to come up with, Oh man, it's just, it's, it's tough. So uh, yeah, it's going to be a big spend. I mean, if Elijah Mitchell went for 92, how is Chuba Hover not a hundred? That's the crazy part. But anyway, let's the, get into the, the next big, game. The biggest, biggest difference between Elijah Mitchell and Chuba is it sounds like uh, McCaffrey's not even going to go on the IL. So he should be back within three weeks where you got Mozart who is done for the year. So Elijah Mitchell was supposed to be the number one for the rest of the season. So in my opinion, you pay more for a guy who you think's going to be the top for the rest of the year than you do for a guy for two weeks. But again, if you're a CMAC owner, you need that for two weeks. So And, and for the future, in. in case he gets hurts again. That's the other part. Yeah. So moving into Sunday, uh, first game we could touch on is uh, Baltimore at Detroit. Oh, Baltimore was favored by eight and a half and... I don't know why we didn't think this would be a massive letdown spot. We didn't think that through enough. I don't think like this was just a massive letdown spot coming off week two. And we should have considered that more into the pick. I think uh, you might be right. I mean, as we said, like the Detroit lions are the pesky sends. Like they've been close in a lot of, in a lot of these games, they've, they've scrapped out. They trying to bite kneecaps off. Um, Oh, frankly, I think the biggest thing for me when making that pick was, uh, and by the way, it actually, if, if Marquise Brown could catch a ball, then it, we would have covered. Yeah. I mean, the real Hollywood showed up last week, but, uh, yeah, like ba- it's Bollywood, KC, it's Bollywood Brown. That's what that was. Like my only takeaway from this is you beat Casey the week before. How did we not see this as a big letdown spot and Detroit's scrappy Their had Dan Campbell's not going to let them not show up every Sunday. So they're going to be scrappy and. Again, I just think this was a massive letdown spot. Baltimore pulled it off. Massive field goal, record setting by Justin Tucker. And we didn't get the cover or anywhere near the cover. But for Baltimore, they got the win. And I think in the letdown spot like that, that's all they really wanted. 66-yarder by Justin Tucker. Longest field goal in NFL history. Uh, Next-gen stats, Tucker had a 10.4% chance to hit that kick. One in 10. It's pretty wild, actually. Justin Tucker's field goal was 19 yards longer than the Bears offense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. But, man, the, the crazy part about that stat cam is Justin Tucker had a 1 in 10 chance. They're like, oh, okay, that makes sense from 66 yards. If you had other kickers, there's no way they'd be close to 10%. Like, no chance. Like, this guy is, like, put up 19 fantasy points or 17 fantasy points. Like, he was unbelievable. Un- like, unreal kick. Um, no wind in a dome that obviously helps. Although on dude, if the wind was behind him, this guy could probably kick a 70 yarder. Yeah. I mean, if he was 66 and a half yards, he doesn't make the kick as it hit the no. bar pretty good, but he still did it and they pulled out the win. So uh, moving along, we had Atlanta at the New York football giants. Giants were favored by two and a half. And this was a horrible football game. Oh my God, That's- dude. I watched like this I, game in its entirety. There's all these, all these great football games on, and I felt bad. You're telling me you're watching this game in entirety. And I mean, <laughs> you're with an Atlanta fan, but uh, 
yeah, I just, every time they showed highlights, I'm like, man, is this, this has got to be the worst game of the day. There's some good football games today. Uh, Atlanta ended up pulling it off and yeah, I just, the Giants aren't as good as I thought they were before the year. I think that's all I'm learning. And this defense that was supposed to be really good. I know they held Atlanta to 17 points, but I just don't think these Giants are as good as I was hoping they'd be or any, I thought they were going to be this year. Man, I tell you this. So going back to, so I was hanging out with a buddy of mine. Hadn't seen him in a long time. Just had a new baby. Met, went and just, you know, met his, met his family or, you know, met the new baby and we're just hanging out. So the hangout was awesome. Um, I looked at him at halftime and I was like, did we just watch like two hours of commercials? Like, what was that? Like, it was, it was awful, awful football. The Falcons win their first, uh, their first game in their last eight games. They run a seven game losing streak, uh, going back to last year. Um, and, uh, and Matt Ryan, man, this guy looks over the hill, but you know, you look at the giants, man, I don't know what, I, I don't know what's going on there. Cause you can't even say that their defense is that bad. I mean, Atlanta only put up 17 points, but their offense just absolutely sputtered. Like they didn't do anything. And, and yeah, they did have some guys, some wide receivers get hurt. Um, tons of injuries, slow pace. Like it was just one of those games that you just kind of got to get rid of. Um, I pretty sure I had Atlanta covering this game. Uh, and did I not? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah. You had a, you had Atlanta covering. I took the giants just with the two and a half number. And to me, my biggest takeaway, these teams are both almost auto fades right now. Aren't they? They're bad. They're so bad. And like, you know, New York goes to zero and three, uh, Atlanta at one and two, um, I just don't see where the Giants can go from this. I mean, this is one of those games that you circle on the calendar if you're a Giants fan and say, hey, this is when we kind of got to win to start the year, and they don't get it done. And, you know, I you start to wonder, okay, so is, you know, is Jason Garrett OC on the hot seat yet? Like, what's going on there? I don't know. Like, I, I just – especially when you're in a market like New York, you, you don't you don't get the benefit of, of – uh, of lots of time just to sit there. You don't get the Mike Tomlin treatment. You don't get the uh, uh, who coached Atlanta the last billion years, um, whatever that guy's name. Um, I forget what his name is, but you don't get that treatment where like you don't produce. Like if you don't produce quickly, like you're gone. Especially with this offense, like you have Daniel Jones, who actually athletic wise, skill wise, should be good. He makes stupid decisions and fumbles the ball. You have Saquon Barkley, who's Again, looks actually decent to start the year, but slightly limited, but he actually looks really good. Kenny Galladay, like you have pieces that are going to be good. Why can't you figure this out? And their offense just, they get in a groove, like they play up-tempo and they look good. And then they just decide, oh yeah, let's slow it down and just suck. But I mean, I don't really want to spend any more time on this game. I got one more thing I want to talk about really quick. Um, Kyle Pitts, is he a disappointment for Atlanta fans? And, and like, I know that obviously it's early. This is major overreaction time, but no touchdowns, barely any yards in three weeks. Is it, is it time to start pressing the mini panic button on Kyle Pitts? I personally don't think so. I haven't watched a ton of the games, but he still looked dangerous and he's looked good. The bigger issue is Matt Ryan. It's not Kyle Pitts in my opinion. It's Matt Ryan's not good anymore. Him and Big Ben just seem to have fallen off a cliff going into the season. So uh, we're gonna get to, me, to Big I'm, Ben. No, I'd be panicking if I was an Atlanta fan for a multitude of reasons. I, again, I don't think he was the proper draft pick, but uh, from what I've seen personally, he still looks really good, and he looks like he can be a Waller, Kelsey type. Like he's that, a huge dude. Nobody, 
nobody can match up against some type player and he looks athletic and he's but he just needs a better quarterback in my opinion but i'm not overly worried i'd just be overly worried about their entire team sucking <laughs> yeah 100 percent uh, moving along to the North Orleans Saints at New England Patriots here. New England was favored by three, and I said right away, this is the wrong line. And uh, Bill Belichick got outcoached badly. Mac Jones did not look good. Jonu Smith is catching the ball, then deciding to throw it for a pick six. So it's oh. a, a great play. But uh, you had New England uh, cover, covering the three. I took New Orleans, and, yeah, they were a live dog and really dominated and I know it was just a weird spot. New Orleans week one looked really good. Week two, they looked horrible. Week three, they look really good again. So I don't really know what to expect week to week. But the biggest takeaway with New Orleans is they went back to Kamara. He's your best player on offense. Give him the ball. That's And it worked. And it kept them away. And their defense is good. Lattimore was back. And they got good pieces on defense. So I still think they're going to be a decent team. And New England, again, I don't think they're that good. Well, and you're, you're bang on. I mean, Alvin Kamara had 89 yards versus the New England Patriots, um, which is more than he had in week one and two combined. He went for 88 yards in week one and two combined. And the Pats have – and there's another stat for you, Ken. The Pats have lost uh, each of their first two home games for the first time since 2000. They have not won at home this year. They, since 2000. Last 21 years, they haven't lost their first two home games. Uh, Mac Jones, yeah. By the way, the play that uh, Janu kind of threw it up for that pick, um, I actually so I actually said it was a bad throw. I know that we had talked about it wasn't a bad throw. It was just behind him. That that's all I was saying on that throw. Like Janu had to kind of turn around and make this awkward kind of catch. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't pop it up for the guy to walk it into the end zone. Um, but Mac Jones kind of had his crash down to earth game, so to speak. Uh, not that he was, you know, shooting the lights out or anything before, um, but you, you get a taste of. Uh, I'm sure that I, I, on practice on Monday, you got a taste of uh, Bill's wrath after after another terrible home game, and yeah, I mean, I was just wrong. I I thought, you know, I thought that the Pats D had showed me enough that you know they would, could make a difference and that the offense was solid enough where you know Mac Jones could could get a couple of those passes through. Um, and, you know, Jacoby Myers had a decent game, but it just wasn't enough. And, um, man, Jameis Winston, you know, really good game week one, not so good game week two, really good game week three. So if history says anything about that, he should probably have a bad game next week. Um, but I don't know, man, LASIK eye surgery, dude. It's back in the headlines. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it's a weird game, and Jameis has kind of been a game manager this year, which is kind of weird to see, but, I mean, they got the job done and did what they needed to, so I think they're having a decent year. Moving along to the next game, though, uh, we had Cincy at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh lying three and a half points, and wow. Nobody, I don't think anybody thought this Pittsburgh offense would be very good. I don't think they thought they'd be this bad. This team was going to rely on defense and with no TJ Watt and a couple other injuries, their defense, which we, everyone thought it should be a top three defense is now ranked 16th. You're not going to have a chance in games and big Ben just looks horrible. Like I don't think, and I think that's just what Pittsburgh's done. I don't know if Mason Rudolph's any better, but like, this is again, a team, like why didn't you guys bring in somebody like Fitzpatrick? I know he's injured, but like big Ben's done. And I think it's seen that. And I don't really know what to do with Pittsburgh anymore. Their defense with Watt back will be much improved. TJ Watt is a top three defensive player in the league. 
So if he's on that line, it's a huge difference. But other than that, I just think Pittsburgh, you need to keep fading. And then looking at the other side, Jamar Chase is unbelievable right now. Yeah, this is uh, him to Burrow to Chase looks unbelievable right now. And this offense has actually looked pretty capable and somehow Burrow is staying upright. Yeah. And, you know, Jamar Chase is the only uh, rookie since 2016 to have uh, 20 plus uh, yard in the air touchdowns in three straight games. So he's been looking really good. Um, Najee Harris had a game finally for fantasy owners, but big band, man. This guy, I mean, there's a clip going around the Twitter sphere of him like just throwing a, a a throw to the flat or just underneath, and he just falls down. Like this guy is absolutely falling off a cliff, and it's 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 Frank. I mean, he probably should have retired after last year. Give him credit for wanting to to stick it out, but man, he just and I feel bad too because you look at that team. They're like Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, um, like they 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 have some really good receivers. And there's nobody to throw it to them. And that's the issue now, too. Like, Deontay Johnson's out. Sounds like a couple weeks. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster's out for a couple weeks, it might sound like. So not only does your offense look terrible, now you're losing your really good skilled guys. So I don't know what they're going to do. And I don't, especially with TJ Watt there, I can't trust this team at all. And without that defense being healthy, you're an auto-fade. Yeah, oh, 100%, man. And unfortunately, this was your lock. Yeah, I mean, I did say caveat. I did say uh, I don't really trust it if TJ Watt wasn't playing, but I couldn't go back on it when he found out he wasn't. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I got to suck that up and uh, take the loss there. So, well, you're gonna have to. I think. I think that the locks this week. I think you're gonna probably not take the Steelers or the Giants or anybody like that. I'll tell you that right now. Nope. Moving into the next game, we had Indy going to Tennessee. Tennessee laying five and a half, and. Tennessee just was the better team here, and Indy's just not very good. Uh, Carson Wentz playing on, what, two sprained ankles wasn't very good. (laughs) This offense is just kind of all over the place. I mean, the running backs have been okay at times, but uh, Tennessee stepped up here, and they were a much better team, and their offense is starting to click a little better, which is good. A.J. Brown might be out for a bit, so that could hurt that offense, but again, like Tannehill has proven he can be good, and you have Julio, you had – brown and you have king henry so they get it done here and titans are the best team in a horrible division is all i have to say i don't think the titans are a good team but indy's worse yeah and and man carson wentz he's lost seven straight starts dating back to last year um again like the guys we've talked about this in depth that this guy's just a band-aid um and frankly you know i don't think that he's the answer in, in Indy, you lose Phillip Rivers um, to retirement. You bring in Carson Wentz. Like, it's it's just a tough spot to be. Um, and, man, like, again, you're, you're right. I mean, the Titans just they, – they just find – you know, when you have a guy like Derrick Henry and, and just stability in Tannehill, which I never thought that I would say that that's actually stability. Um, but when you, have, when you just have that consistency – and if you look, man, like, the Colts – you know, push the Rams to the brink and the Rams are frankly a better team than Tennessee is in my opinion. Um, like it's just demoralizing for this team when you have such a good game the week before, then you roll into, uh, in, into Tennessee and you and you lose by nine points. So anyway, not much I can say here, but we got that line, right? I'll tell you that. Yeah. Moving along. We had Washington heading to Buffalo, Buffalo laying eight and a half points and, 
this wasn't even a football game. And I just, this Washington team, I guess, was fraudulent last year with this defensive line being as good as they were. This defense is not good. It's not good at all. The secondary is horrible. This line's not getting any pressure. I mean, we know Buffalo's offense could do this, but they did it without Stefan Diggs doing much at all. Emmanuel Sanders with two touchdowns. And again, I just, this Washington team's way worse than I am. And the NFC least, again, we got Washington, who we think's way worse. Giants, who are way worse than we thought. It's not a great division again. And I mean, Buffalo just took it to them and Buffalo's offense is looking much better again. Well, and I thought that we had uh, – I'm pretty sure if we we look back to our season kind of preview that we had Washington winning the division, and it's not looking so good right now. And you can't really – you know, defensively they've just been – as you said, they've been awful. Um, and, I mean, Josh Allen, if you, had a, if you were a fantasy owner of Josh Allen, he had himself an absolute game. Um, he, he just – he could not be stopped. Um, like, the guy had just – you know, I think it was four passing touchdowns, no interceptions, a rushing touchdown. Like it was all, everything was all co- coming up. Bills and Henneke's just not like. I mean, you had Fitz who who goes down, which is fine, but I don't think Fitz is going to fix this team either. I don't know what happened since last year that this defense all of a sudden just stopped being good. Uh, but man, they just they, the Bills just are back to where we thought the Bills should be. So after three weeks, I think it's fairly safe to say that the Bills now were the Bills of 2020 and I think better than they were last year. So the beatdown that they laid on Miami in week two, um, yes, Miami could have scored some points, but then they do it to Washington the week after. Man, the Bills are legit. Yeah, here's the big question. As we move into this next game, which was LA at KC, are the Bills the favorite in the AFC right now? Oh man, they gotta be. Like they, I no, mean, I dude, they they they, they gotta, gotta be the be. favorite. They, they they look so good, and so, I think yeah yeah. So L A thirty uh over thirty uh the uh, Kansas City Chiefs twenty four. Um, Casey was man. favored by six and a half before the game, which again we thought it would mm-hmm. be a bounce box spot for Casey after a loss, and nope. And this game went back and forth, man. Like, this game was back and forth. I actually laid – they were down, I think, a touchdown in the third quarter, and they were like plus uh, like plus 220 or t- 225 to come back and win, and I was like, I'll take those numbers. It's Patrick Mahomes. This, what's, a, what's a touchdown? This KC defense is horrible. Like, they're just not good. And then you just get this offense. Like, it just seems the last two weeks the teams have just blanketed Tyree Kill. And the offense just looks lost. Like, Kelsey can get his short stuff, but Mahomes made a couple of silly decisions that you don't see from him ever. Like, they look like Jameis Winston decisions, just throwing it up to nobody. And, yeah, I just don't know what to think about this team. And they're last in their division. Their di- a couple of teams in their division look much better than we thought, and they don't look good at all. So, kind of an interesting spot. And, again, you lose a divisional game at home, you're in a little bit of trouble. Oh, you're in big trouble, dude. And and a stat with the defense, man, like the Chiefs have allowed 25 points uh, in four straight games for the first time since 2008. That's not like, I mean, you would think that that'd be fine, right? When you have that kind of high powered, high octane offense. But I think that like, and this is kind of going to the Patrick Mahomes thing is he like teams and defenses are queuing in on his crappy little, uh, his little under the arm throws, the falling away throws. He's doing that. He did this all the last two, three years. 
And everybody's like, oh, my God, Patrick Mahomes, what a throw. He's unbelievable. And now guys are like, okay, so if we get pressure on Mahomes, he's going to throw it because he refuses to take a sack and he barely ever throws it away. So he's just going to try to force something. And if you look at his interceptions, they're super high in the first three games. I'm pretty sure the dude's got four interceptions in three games. It might be higher. It might be five because he had definitely had two this week, two the week before. Uh, so our defense is cluing in on this. I think so. And is that going to be a problem? Like if you're shutting down Tyree, you can't shut down Tyree kill and uh, Travis Kelsey, but if you can put pressure on Patrick Mahomes and get him to make those stupid decisions, like at what point is this guy going to be like, okay, I got to play more in the pocket kind of style football here because these guys are just going to like, I- I'm going to, as you said, I'm going to be more like Jameis Winston where I'm throwing lots of touchdowns, but also throwing lots of interceptions. Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues here is you have an O-line that's completely rebuilt. And you talk to any football insider and O-lines need time to adjust and get used to each other. And they haven't looked good thus far through the season. And they're getting pressure to Mahomes. And this O-line, you look at the players on it, they should be unbelievable. So I think they're just taking some time to figure it out right now. So I think they're going to be better. And am I that concerned about KC? Not really. I think they're going to get into this wild card spot. No problem. Am I concerned about them winning the division? For sure. It's going to be a fight till the end now. But again, this team's just too good and has too many good players. And this old line's going to get a little better. And Andy Reid is a really good coach. So the I wouldn't hit the panic. cover. Yeah, well, that's the thing. The other stat that came out today, the last 13 games, they are 1-11-1 against the spread. The last 12 months, they are the worst team in the NFL against the spread. But am I completely concerned about them? No, not really. Like, it's the time to hit the panic button. Sorry, yeah, I'm concerned, but it's not time to hit the panic button, if that makes more sense. Yeah, like, you're okay, we'll talk about this again in, in week five or six. Like, if, if they start losing, if they lose again, and then let's just say they go three and three through the first six games, that's cause for concern against teams that you should beat. And, I mean, when you're the best team, arguably, one of the best teams in the NFL, you could be like, oh, we should beat every team. But, dude, you're they're in a really – they're they're in tough. Like the, their division's not poor either. So like you oh, can't afford to really get good. You can't afford to get five six games four three four five six games behind, right? Like it's it's there's no time for that. You got to pick it up and you got to pick it up now. Yeah, moving into the next game, we had Arizona heading to Jacksonville. Arizona laying seven and a half, and at halftime, this looked really scary, didn't it? Uh, the- yeah. Kick six really hurt it. Oh, trying to go for God. a 68, 68 yard field goal, trying to set the record, which was broken later in the day. It wasn't even that close, and it was just horrible. But what did we learn in the second half? Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence just want to shoot themselves in the foot and do not know how to play in the NFL or coach in the NFL. And here's a not so hot take right now these rookie quarterbacks have been horrible. Mac Jones finally had a letdown spot. Actually, there's actually people through three weeks now. I know Davis Mills has only played once, but he actually might arguably look like the best quarterback out of this rookie class, which is yeah. crazy because he wasn't a top pick and all that stuff. But, I mean, he was the top high school recruit out of that class. Him and Lawrence were like neck and neck. Man. Ha, ha. Come on. Ha. Man, neck. All right. Next point. <laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. Um. So one of the things I like, so the Cardinals have 30 points, 400 total yards in each of their first three games for the first time uh, since at least 1940. And man, I was worried 
like when they so at the end of the second quarter of this at the half when they brought that back i was like oh fuck really like it's gonna be one of those weeks um obviously and this is kind of the thing where like you bet on teams that are better like good division good division good team against bad division bad team like this is what we've learned and this is what happened and this game would not have been that close without that stupid field goal touchdown it just wouldn't have been i mean they, they didn't do anything after that really no, and I wasn't I really – I wouldn't even say, like, at halftime I was concerned that Arizona wouldn't win the game. But covering seven and a half points when you're down and didn't look good through the first half, yeah, I was slightly concerned. And Kyler passing was not great. I know D-Hop was, like, limited. Didn't have a touchdown passing. Had decent yardage. But it was just kind of an odd game. But, I mean, Jacksonville's just so bad, and they're just auto-fade right now. I can't believe you were up at halftime and you were holding this offense to short, and then you can't even cover seven and a half. So – Again, Jacksonville, I said before the year I thought they were the worst team in the NFL, and so far they're looking like it. I mean, they're only one game back of the Texans. Guess we'll see. Moving into the next game, we had Chicago heading to Cleveland. Cleveland laying seven, and this really wasn't that close. This offense for Chicago was horrible. Who do we have in this game? (laughs) Uh, You had Cleveland, and I had Chicago. Yuck. Again, this is Cleveland easily covered this. Kareem Hunt had his big breakout game that you get every so often from him. But Justin Fields just looked horrible. The big thing of Justin Fields in the draft was he takes a, too much time to process and he's going to get killed in the NFL. I think he had eight sacks against him. He held on to it way too long. He actually had one passing yard at the end of the game because a sack hurts your passing yards. They had one total passing yard, which is insane. Their offense was horrible. Defense was okay, but uh, Cleveland just goes in with a game plan, and if they need to run out the clock, they're going to. And really, I just I don't know what Chicago's doing, and you're going to have to rely on Justin Fields for a few more weeks. But I'd be concerned because a few things that were really concerning about Justin Fields before the year, every one of those concerns was massive in this first game. Dude, he was sacked nine times. Miles Garrett had four and a half sacks. Nine times? Yeah, Chandler Jones still has him by half a sack in a game this year. So, come on, Miles Garrett. <laughs> yeah, you plug. Dude, nine times. You want to know why you have no offense? It's because every fucking time you get the you, the ball gets snapped, you're about to get killed. But it wasn't like he didn't have the least amount of time to throw it. He just takes too much time to process. That was the big thing. It's not like, like Big Ben actually has by far the least amount of time to throw the ball, the worst offensive line rating. But he gets it out. Justin Fields, the biggest thing with him is he has a slow processor. And he couldn't process what was happening, and that's why he gets sacked. So the O-line, yeah, they needed to be better. The running backs probably could have blocked better. But he takes too long, and he holds on to the ball too long, and that was a big talk. He actually holds on to the ball longer than Carson Wentz, which is crazy because Carson Wentz holds on to the ball ridiculously long. So unless he figures that out, in the NFL, you're going to get killed. Do you want to know a terrible stat, Cam? Sure. Yeah. Justin Fields had the fewest passing yards by a quarterback making their debut since guess who? Not a clue. Nate Peterman. That is not company that you want to be a part of, dude. <laughs> oh my god. And like the Bears, man, like Nagy came out and was like, Yeah, uh, so I don't know who I'm going to start at quarterback this week, Foles, Dalton, or Fields. It's kind of in the open. If that's the situation where you have three quarterbacks and you don't know who you're going to play, man, 
fade the Bears right now. Just fade the Bears. Yeah, and I any Bears game right now, I might take the under because their defense is okay. Like it's manageable for sure. They're decent defense, but they have zero offense. So under all day long. Moving along, we had the New York Jets going to Denver and. I, again, I was high on Denver before. They've had a pretty weak schedule to start the year, but they just absolutely dominated the Jets. This wasn't close. Bridgewater didn't need to do much. The Jets couldn't get anything on offense, and Zach Wilson still, again, doesn't look that good. He's got the arm talent, but decision-making is not good. This is exactly what we thought was going to happen this game. You've got a rookie quarterback going to elevation versus a good defense, and they got smacked. They this got is smacked. What bothers, yeah, they bothered me. I, like, I know it was 10.5 points, and that's what scared me. But why didn't I lock this up? Like I was so confident in this game, and I didn't choose this as my log. I think 10.5 scared me, and it shouldn't have. This was such an easy game. I had this in almost every bet I made this weekend, which I made a ton of money this weekend. It was too easy. Yeah, like I, part of it is is that you're like, okay, they got to they got to win by a touchdown and two touchdowns, really, or a touchdown and two field goals. Like it seems like a lot, um, but man, like it just like any if you watch any clips of this game, like there was this. Not only was this game never in doubt, this looked like a high school team playing a playing an NFL team. Like it was just not even the same at all. Like, oh, dude, it's. And again, Denver, you're right, has had a softer schedule. I think that you know their their it's their medals definitely going to be tested in the coming weeks for sure. But teams can't be faulted for their schedule. The same as Carolina going three and zero. Okay, you beat the Saints, that's a great win. But the other two, okay, those are should be gimmies for you. Um, you can only play who you can play on the schedule. And the Broncos have got it done, and they're th- sitting at three and zero. Good for them. Yep, so moving into the next game, crazy game. Seattle at Minnesota. Seattle was laying two, and they got killed. Man. I don't know what Seattle's doing. Like, Russ's week one, we're like, okay, this is Russ cooking again. Like, let's go MVP season. Stones off. It just looks horrible. Like, they just don't let Russ cook now. This defense doesn't look good again. I know they have a couple big names, but it doesn't get good. We're going to give credit where credit's due. Minnesota's offense should be really good. Kirk Cousins, other than in prime time, is a good quarterback. And you have Justin Jefferson, you have Thielen, you have Cook. This could should be a really good offense, especially against a not-good defense. So I didn't see this game going anywhere near this, though. 30-17 to 17 for many, and it just kind of blows my mind. You let Kirk Cousins, like, dominate you, man. I don't get it. Like, I just... And again, it's not like Seattle doesn't have weapons. Like, their scheme, if you watch some of these games, like, I just don't get why. Like, is their O-line that bad where Russ never has any time? I, I don't think so. I just, is it just poor decision-making or just poor play calling? Like, it just, their, their offense doesn't look like it's in sync. Like, go back to last year when they were on a, on a bit of a roll. Lockett was having big games. Metcalf was having big games. And, you know, it, it, it was constantly, you're like, oh, my God. Like, if we play these guys, DK is going to have like it's it, one of these guys is going to be open and they're going to kill us. And this year you're like, uh, it's fine. Like, and the thing is too, is like, what are we supposed to do here? Like we took Seattle to cover. Like you can't bet on the Vikings. They've been sh- trash. They've been absolutely trash and burned us two weeks in a row. So the first week that we, it's like playing ride the bus when you're in university. Like we were like red, red, red. Red, and then finally a black card pops up, and we get screwed. But man, 
I, I still don't. I mean, I, I don't look at this just in terms of the Vikings and, and Kirk Cousins. I mean, they're their offensive weapons are legit, but their defense still sucks. So I'm not, let me ask you this. Is this game more a testament to how bad the Seattle's offense is right now, or that Minnesota has a chance on defense to just improve overall? Because I didn't think Minnesota's defense looked that good. I just thought personally that Seattle's offense just looked disjointed. Yeah. I mean, their defense looked better too, but I think it's a little bit of both. Again, I thought personally, a lot of experts thought that Mike Zimmer would f- make this defense better this year for Minnesota. And so maybe it's a little coming out party for them. But yeah, Seattle, they just, they did this last year too. I don't know why they got into scheming it up like this. Like they cooked in week one. They cooked for the first half of last season where they just looked unbelievable. Lots of play action, get the running backs involved. You have DK and Lockett. Let's play action, get them involved. And they just go away from it for no apparent reason other than what? To protect Russ. But again, play action, he can move well enough. I don't really get it. But this is what they did last year. But I mean, Minnesota's defense did what they needed to do. They kept Seattle to 17 points and their offense is good. So credit where credit's due. Yep, that's true. Moving into the big game on the Sunday afternoon slate, we had Tampa Bay heading to the LA Rams. And man, this LA Rams team is legit. I've I've been high on the Rams last season. I was huge on them, even with Jared Goff. Matthew Stafford to Cooper Cup. Like this is above it's nasty. Like dude. right now to me, well, this is like we had D Hop Kyler. We've had Allen Diggs. This is above that. What they're doing right now is insane. They look so good. And I don't know how you stop this offense. And again, this defense, you have Darnold, you have Ramsey. They looked okay. Tampa Bay still put up 24. This seemed like a huge over game. I don't know if it got there because I think the number was outrageous. But to me, the LA Rams right now are my Super Bowl favorites. They're the NFC favorites. And I think them versus Bills is kind of my favorites. And Every answer that I've wanted from Stafford, he's shown. And he showed he's a way better quarterback than Jared Goff. And Sean McVay can scheme up really good plays for them. What's crazy is is that I actually didn't think that the Rams defensively played as good as they could. That's the crazy part. I mean, Tampa still put up 24 points, which is nothing to sneeze at. But, man, like, with that high-flying offense, too, like, you're going to give up points. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um but the Bucks defense again does just does just not look that good, um, frankly. And uh, I mean, you, you got thirty four put up on you. That's just not going to cut it. Um, Garant got hurt, came back. Matt Stafford is has been buried in Detroit for years, and finally, finally, people are able to see now that he's under the spotlight to Hollywood that hey, this guy's actually not so bad. Like, oh my yeah, god, I mean, this guy's pretty good. I've kind of been waiting. Like I haven't been high on Stafford. I haven't been low. I haven't really know what to think for the most part. Cause again, he was in Detroit. He was throwing it 50 times a game. So what do you really think of that? Like his yardage is going to be high. As you saw, Brady threw it 55 times this game. So he was over 400 yards. You throw it that many times and you're a good quarterback, not even a great one. You're going to have good numbers. You're going to do some of that. So that's what kind of happens. But now you're watching him in a really capable offense with a good defense, really good coaching. And you're like, man, Matthew Stafford, is he the favorite for MVP right now? Like he Ooh, might be. He might be. And this this team's just looks so good. And I'm I've been super high on the Rams with a terrible quarterback. So again, I'm just super high on the Rams. And I think this was a statement win and kind of showed that they're the favorites in the NFC. So yeah, 
I yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, in terms of MVP, I mean, it's definitely not the normal guys. It's not Russ. It's not Pat. Um, I mean, you could argue Derek Carr could be in that conversation. I don't know, but um, like, you would have had uh, Kyler up there before this week where he didn't yeah, throw a no, touchdown, he was, had one no, interception. No, so wasn't good. Yeah, to me. To me, I don't know how you don't have it at Stafford right now, but yeah. I mean, we'll this see is what a, happens. There's lots of time left. <laughs> lots of time left. So this is a gambling show. One note, um, just to jot down your little gambling notebook. Um, the Rams are 38-0 and when leading at halftime since 2017. 38-0. and So if they're up like 7 nothing, or like... 14 or like up by three versus a really good team 38 and no that's a big enough like that's a big enough sample size to put some money down live and lock up the rams to win that game so there's there's your little tidbit cam yeah so moving into the last afternoon game we had miami heading to vegas vegas three and a half point favorites and man both teams should have won this game multiple times fucking it was an ugly game like this shouldn't have even gone close to overtime both teams took so many stupid penalties at inopportune times. And like Vegas, at the end of the day, Vegas probably deserved to win this game. The Raiders did. They should have won it in regulation. There shouldn't have been any reason. They but should have after, covered. After that, it, yeah, they should have covered. It was just, it was a horrible game that ended up being exciting because it went to overtime and you had to go back and forth. I know you'll probably want to say something about the missed pass interference, which I agree with, but. Again, like at the end of the day, I think the team who was the better team won this game. I don't think the Dolphins were good enough. Uh, it worked out well for me because, again, I had the Dolphins covering three and a half and they only lost by three. So just a messy game, but it ended up working out well for betting. So this is a whole thing of you got screwed. So Miami's up 14 to two. They get a pick six. They're, uh, they get a touchdown. They're up 14 to two. Feeling good. And then they lay an egg two quarters in a row. The Raiders put up 17 points uh, combined in quarter two and quarter three. Miami comes on this late game drive. First of all, Brissett just all of a sudden is like, okay, yeah, I can throw the ball, by the way. And I'm like, dude, where was this all game? Like, what have you been doing the whole time? Like, now all of a sudden? Or, like, I don't know if it's the play calling. Like, we t- we were chatting back and forth, and it looked like fucking Chan Gailey was out there again. Like, but being the offensive were coordinator. When you're up 14 nothing, you're on your own one, and you try a screen pass with no screen in your own end zone. Like it was the worst play call I might've ever seen. Like Waddle's there with two defenders on him. Yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? It's a screen pass with no screen. And everyone knew it was coming. Waddle was the only one over there. Like, I don't know what you're doing on your own one. So it was a terrible play. And those are things that Chan Gailey did last year where it's like, all right, let's just try these bubble and screen passes all the time. Let's throw it short. Let's run, run, run. Like, when you look at it, I think Waddle had like 12 receptions for 60 yards. Like, what are you yeah. doing? Like, it doesn't make any sense, but so I, I'm still concerned with this offense. This quarter OC mix hasn't looked good, and I don't – again, I don't trust Brissett. He looked good in the fourth quarter, but first three quarters he wasn't. I mean, that, and that's bang on. So, like, I feel screwed because I had the Raiders to cover, which they should have covered. And then they go – the Dolphins go on this miracle run. And they score six points. I'm like, okay, sick. Like, this is the worst. I need them now to, like, obviously I'm still rooting for them. But at this point, like, when they score the touchdown, I'm like, okay, yes, let's get the two and let's let's win. Like, I don't really care about the cover at that point, even though they shouldn't have got that touchdown in the first place because whatever. And then they go to overtime. And so the Raiders get the field goal. Fine. 
right? Miami's D shows up. And then Will Fuller gets demolished from behind in the end zone. Like, the guy tackle and, and a friend of, like, listener of, of the show, friend of ours, is like, oh, well, it wasn't clear cut. I don't know what more clear cut is than a guy leaving his feet, grabbing your arms, and tackling you before the ball gets there. He was like, well, it's bang, bang. Uh, it's pretty fucking obvious that he couldn't lift his arms up to catch the ball because he's got a guy draped all over him in the end zone. And the, and the argument on this is, well, we don't want refs deciding the game. By the way, I agree with that sentiment. Except, in this instance, it wasn't like they were hand fighting in the end zone and he had his his jersey and they were both looking at the ball and the pass was incomplete. This is a guy who directly jumped on the other guy so he couldn't catch the ball and it wasn't a flag? Like, the refs did... Dis- the, so, it, it, indirectly, the refs, by not calling that penalty, and because then Miami would have had first and goal on the one, they would have won the game, no doubt about it. Um... By not calling that penalty, you've decided the game. You've decided, and, and the Raiders, again, still had to go and win, but you've decided, okay, Miami is not now winning this game. And there wasn't a lot of time left on the clock. Even if they got the ball back, it wasn't likely they were going to win, and it could have ended in a tie. So, yeah, you cost them the game, dude. Refs have been awful the last three weeks, and this is a, a great example of they need to go into, into their little ref tent their little ref office look at this play and be like boys how is this not pass interference and all the penalties this weekend uh monday night's game sunday night's game where you see some of the pi calls and you're like holy shit they called that how that one wasn't called on uh on the tackle on fuller i have no idea yeah just kind of wrapping up this though are the raiders good now they've beat the steelers the ravens and the uh dolphins who were all three Good teams last year, all 10-win teams last year, all with quite capable defenses. And the Raiders have handled them all. This offense looks really good. Derek Carr has looked really good. And uh, you get getting good defense, too. Like, Max Crosby looks like a different player than I've ever seen him. He looks like he's a top-10 edge rusher right now. This team looks good, and I guess uh, Gruden's figuring out how to get it done. Even their offensive tackle that everyone thought they drafted way too high. He's been really phenomenal. So you just kind of look at it and I'm like, fuck, the Raiders are good. I'm not, I'm not completely sold yet. The Raiders do this. So give me a couple weeks and I'll, I'll circle back because they, they, they're very, very streaky. They were eight and eight last year. So, and they, and they had win streaks and we had, and again, start of last year, we were like, oh man, are the Raiders good? And then they lose like five in a row. And then they're like, oh no, they're still the Raiders. It's okay. So give me a couple weeks. If they go five and zero to start. Yeah. They might be legit. But, yeah, they're getting through tough teams right now, which I think is the big thing. Like, all three of these teams were right on the edge of being projected for playoffs by every expert, all 10-win teams. So, the Steelers are not – haven't looked good, as we said. But, anyway. Yep, moving along to the Sunday night football game, we had Green Bay going to San Fran. San Fran favored by three and a half. And we just both thought this was the wrong favorite. I didn't think the number was wrong. I just thought it was the wrong way. Green yep. Bay, again, everyone's overreacting to week one with Green Bay. They were terrible. And now the next two weeks, I mean, they weren't great in this game by any means, but they got the job done. They won the game. They needed that win. And, I mean, I don't really have too much uh, too much thought on this game. Yeah, so, I mean, if you listen to, like, to our preview of week three last week, um, this was one of our last picks. And this is that's exactly what we said. We said, 
you said, who do you got going here, Burke? And I said, are we sure the line's not the wrong way? Because I was like, okay, I think that it probably should have been Green Bay the other way. And frankly, San Francisco would have covered. But they had it the other way. And, I mean, dude, Aaron Jones, talk about a guy being built different. First of all, who the fuck is the independent consult, uh, uh, fuck, the independent concussion consultant? Who's that doctor? I need to know. They're definitely not as hard as the NHL guys. That is so sus. I'm sorry. Aaron Jones gets knocked out, floppy armed on a, on a, frankly, it was just a really bad, I, I did not like the, I mean, that's a suicide pass in, in a sense, but gets absolutely knocked to the ground out. He's in la la land taken to the tent. He's, he misses one play. There's no way he passes he passes concussion protocol. And good thing he didn't. Good thing he did pass and was back on the field because Aaron Rodgers hooked up with them on the last drive. San Francisco, by the way, let's talk about coaching here for a second. I know this is going a little long, but I just found this so interesting. Was San Francisco was down uh they, they needed a touchdown. Right? So they were down five. What were they down? Five point mm, nope. So how much were they down? It was 30-28. They got a touchdown, so it was 26. So they were down 26 to 21. So they needed a touchdown. Here's my question. Why did you leave 35 seconds on the clock? Put it on the one. And you could argue, well, you got to get the touchdown. There's no guarantee on the one yard. Yeah, but you gave Aaron Rodgers 31 seconds to go get a field goal. This guy has proved in his career this is not, that this is not hard to do. The other big coaching mistake I thought they made was not even that. It was the kickoff. So when you're that late in a game, 38 seconds or whatever's left, you try and kick it to the one. Kick one of those high ones, make them run five seconds off the clock. They usually don't get back to the 25 anyways. If you give up a bigger play, it happens, but you still run the clock off. By hitting it through the end zone, you're giving them the 25-yard line with the most amount of time. Just That's a bonehead mood. I mean, you don't want to do that every kickoff all season long because your special team players will get killed. You don't want to tr- actually go yeah. and make all those tackles every time. But this is one of those situations where you do try and hit that high kick to the one, make them run it, bang off a little more clock, and the majority of the time you stop them before the 25 anyways. So it's it's just high percentage plays, and they didn't make a couple of them. The touchdown thing, I think it's harder. Like, do you really want to try, and then you don't want to run out of timeouts? So I kind of get that one more. But you still lost the game, though. But you still lost the game. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. You gave Aaron Rodgers too much time. And what mistakes you did to do that? You gave him too much time, and he got it done. And I mean, another big kick, by the way. Yeah, Mason Crosby again, unbelievable kicking, and there was a lot of big kicks this week. And uh, that's kickers were heroes this week. This is the thing I love about football. Kickers, I and I tweeted this out. uh, Kickers are the hero, the hero, the heroes this week. But some weeks, kickers are the dogs. They get they just get absolutely blasted. But this was a great week to be a kicker in the NFL. Yeah, I just want to touch one more thing on the concussion protocol. So it's even tougher with the NFL. Like the NHL, if you actually get diagnosed with a concussion, you're out 10 to 14 days minimum. Trey Sermon had a concussion last week, and he was playing this week. So the NFL clearly doesn't take concussions as seriously as the NHL. And, I mean, there's a whole other debate there, but it's not fact. Dude, that's just nuts. We won't talk about this like in depth, but it actually just is nuts. You can't say we support uh, our players' health and safety and it's of utmost importance and you don't take concussions seriously. Yeah, moving into the Monday Nighter. And this one just pissed me off so much. I had such a good weekend betting. And for some reason, I thought Philly would cover this. And 
all week we bet Dallas the other way. We thought Dallas was much better. My preseason rankings, Philly's not good. And they're not good. And Dallas's offense is really good. And there's no mistaking that. And again, I probably undervalued Dallas before the year thinking they'd get injured. This offense wouldn't click the way it was. But it's clicking phenomenally. Zeke's looked good. Tony Pollard uh, as kind of a 1A, 1B has looked really good. And Dax looked really good. So I uh, I blew some money trying to think that Philly would cover this. But Dallas ended up destroying them. And this wasn't much of a football game, really. The boys. I keep picking the boys to cover. And they keep covering. I love it. Um, man, Dak Prescott looks amazing. He looks so much better than he – well, I mean, he looks the same as he did when he got hurt last year, but he looks good. And, I mean, Zeke had a game. Pollard had a game. Uh, Schultz had a game. Like, it was just all coming up. Cowboys last night, and Philly could just not get it going on offense whatsoever. Um, I mean, Sanders had, what, two touches? That's nuts. How does your number one running back have two touches? Like, two yeah, runs? I mean, Come on, just- dude. I don't. I didn't think Philly was good before the year, and I still don't think it. And right now, like I know we're only three weeks in, but with how bad the rest of the division looks, this is Dallas's division easily at the moment, as long as they can avoid injuries, and things look good for them. And I actually think I want to see them play some of the tougher divisions and teams in like the West and stuff. But they actually could be a top team in the NFC if they can stay healthy. Their defense just needs to be average, and it has been, and their offense is really good. One thing that I will say, shout out to Dak Prescott for number one, not throwing any CeeDee Lamb all game. Also, sorry, this is fantasy related. I was playing a game last night in one of my leagues, and the guy had CeeDee Lamb and Dak. CeeDee Lamb goes down to the one. I won by four points, so he didn't get that touchdown. That was helpful. And then Dak sat the last three minutes of the game. Thank you, Dak, for not throwing as many touchdowns as – or throwing the exact same – or throwing a perfect amount of touchdowns. Perfect amount of points. Getting me the cover, but not screwing me in fantasy. Thank you, Dak Prescott. Yeah, so that just wraps it up for our week three. I mean, a really good week overall. I went 10-6 and six ATS. You were 8-8, eight and eight, so 500 is still really respectable. This could have been up- could have gone the other way, yeah. by the way. Two of these games could have gone the other way easily, but, it does, but that's all right. Over 500 for both of us. You hit your lock, so you're two and one in lock. Shutting. Doing well overall, but I'm 0 for 3 locks. For the season, I am sitting at 52%. You're a little lower there at 43. So all I figured out is if you're listening to our picks, pick my picks for the most part overall. Just fade my locks. <laughs> go with go with the bandit locks. And then I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm going to get, as I said, I definitely could have been a couple of games above 500 this week. Bounce here, bounce there. Um, you know, Brissett not throwing a touchdown in, uh, in the Miami game. It could have been a different story, but, uh, yeah, pick my locks. I'm good at uh, locks is my thing. And then whatever, we'll see, uh, we'll see how she goes. So, all right, Cam, we will be back, uh, talking about our, uh, week four picks for this week. By the way, one more thing before we go. How annoyed were you last night when the announcers were just sucking off Derek Carr or Derek Carr, Dak Prescott being like complete control? He was in complete control. Oh my gosh, Dak Prescott, Zeke, they're in complete. They said complete control probably 20 times in two quarters. Yeah, probably I never a little unnecessary. A little? 
oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, am I listening to Dallas Cowboys radio? Holy shit. Is this what it's like listening to the Leafs? Oh yeah. You listen to Leafs radio. It's even worse. Oh my, I can't. Oh man. I, I apologize. Uh, that is so bad to listen to. Oh my gosh. That was unbelievable. But anyway, so Burke, do we want to hit on the Thursday nighter now? Yes, we are going to hit on the Thursday nighter. Cam, set it up. We have Jacksonville heading to Cincy. Cincy laying seven and a half points. Uh, Jacksonville's auto fade. Yeah, I I don't even have anywhere else to go with this. Until they prove me wrong, I don't care if it's seven and a half. This offense for Cincy has looked good. And this offense this for could Jacksonville. could be ten and a half. Yeah, I don't really like laying seven and a half with this Cincy team, but Jags are auto faded, and let's not overthink this. They put they they were more than seven and a half on the Steelers, and the Steelers are bad. But the Jack but Jacksonville's way worse. Oh yeah, I mean no. I don't I don't I don't like comparing teams to other teams, especially with injuries and stuff. But I get it, but still, dude, I'm telling you right no, now, yeah, I, no. we could be dead wrong. Like, man. Trevor Lawrence under the Thursday night football lights could come up with the game of his life at home and completely stun the football world. I am not picking this game in a survivor pool. I'll tell you that right now. Um, You'd think you should, you want to beat up on these lesser teams. Um, But this is one where like, I, I'm fully convinced that the Bengals are going to cover this, but Jacksonville could return a field goal that was missed. Could have a couple turnovers on D and shock the football world, I don't think it's going to happen. No, nope, let's just keep this momentum going into week four, and I look forward to it. Me too, brother. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Over6Sports, at over 6 and at C Charlton Turf. And for the Over6Sports podcast, I am Zach the Bandit Burke. With me, as always, Cameron Charlton. The Turf King, Cameron Charlton. Thanks for listening to Over6Sports. We'll chat with you. Thank you.